Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Turn to 1 Samuel 21. We're, in, we're continuing our series, Pigs Fly. It's a series all about how God turns the ridiculous into reality. And for almost all of us, if you're going to follow a, a, a dream that God gives to you, or if there's going to be this, this thing where you've got this thing that God's calling you to, and you think, that's what he wants me to do, you're going to go through these phases before it comes true. We've, we've kind of been talking about this. I'll say it again. Just because Brett gets on stage and says there's got to be four phases to a dream doesn't necessarily mean that's how God's going to do it in your life. God can very easily do it in one phase, you know, like here it is, here's your dream, you're good to go. But what you find if you look in the Bible and you start following along is that a lot of these Bible characters when God gave them something to do or he gives them a vision or there's something that is expected of them and he wants them to, to accomplish, there seem to be these four phases attached to it. And, and week one, we talked about the idea that you, you have to become aware of the dream. That's where it all starts. You just have to become aware. And, and we said that this can happen in a lot of different ways. In David's life, the dream kind of fell into his lap. He's, he's out in a field. He's a little shepherd boy. He's not very old. He's got older brothers. Samuel comes to his house. His dad's name is Jesse. Jesse brings in all the other older brothers, leaves David out in the field. Doesn't even think he's, it's possible that, that his son might be considered to be the next king. Samuel's there to anoint the next king of Israel. So they pass all these brothers in front of Samuel. Samuel listening for God's voice. God says, no, not that one, not that one. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, yeah, I got the one little guy. He's out in the field watching sheep. And he said, bring him in here. We're not going to sit down until he gets here. They bring David in. Sure enough, God, that's who God wants to be anointed, the next king of Israel. Samuel anoints him, says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And then we talked about the idea in week one that you are qualified. You hear that and you think, Brett, I don't know if, if I'm qualified. I told you in week one, you, you have permission to believe that God can use you. Because there are some of you that would say, there's no way God could use me, Brett. You don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. Brett, you don't know what I did last night. How can you say that I would be qualified? I can say that because you're not qualified because of your goodness. You're qualified because of the righteousness of Christ. When I say righteousness, I simply mean right standing with God. Anytime you hear righteous, that's what you, your ears should hear, is right standing with God. You have a right standing with God, not because you're good. You have a right standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Romans tells us that we have the gift of his righteousness. So it's not even ours. It comes from Jesus. But, but you have to become aware. You have to become aware of your dream. And then ask, what is it that keeps me up at night? You know what? Bill Hybels talks about the, your holy discontent. What is that thing that you see that you think, man, that's got to change. I can't let that stay that way. That's, God wants me to do something about that. What is it that when you go to bed at night, it's written on the back of your eyelids, you know, this, is, this is, will not let me alone, I've got to do this thing for God. Whatever that is, that's you becoming aware. Then last week we looked at the idea that you're going to encounter opposition on the way to having your dreams fulfilled. For God, or for David, it was Goliath. Um, yours is probably going to look a little different than that, but there's probably going to be some obstacle that's going to get in the way of whatever it is that you think you're supposed to achieve and you actually achieving that particular thing. What is it that stands between you and whatever it is that you feel like God is calling you to do with your life? And then this week we're going to talk about enduring delays. 
enduring delays. And we're going to talk about the idea that when you're on the path of God's dream for your life or the vision or, you know, the God idea, whatever it is, this thing that you think God's wanting you to do, rarely, if ever, does it come in your timing. Very rarely. I, <laughs> I was a youth pastor for many years, and one of my favorite things was to take kids on road trips. In fact, there are, there are people in this room right now that I took on road trips as youngsters in the van with me. Um, in fact, we had one van called the Death Van. Isn't that a great name for the van? The Death Van. Because you never knew what was going to go wrong with it. It blew tires. and was, Our van's way better now than the one we had back in the day. But, but uh, I used to love road trips. Locking these kids in the van, we'd take them over to Kings Island, you know. And, and we didn't really focus on bringing back the same kids. We just wanted to bring back the same number. You know, if we exchanged some over there, that was okay. In fact, some of you were like, please, can you bring back a better kid for me? And so, so, you know, we would take these kids over to Kings Island, different places, and lock them in the van. I, there was great value in that for me. In a couple of weeks, we'll go take some people to Catalyst. We've taken all different kinds of people to Catalyst with us. I think there's great value in taking a group of people, locking them in a van for a trip to Atlanta, Georgia. You learn a lot about a somebody when you're riding with them all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, let me tell you. But we, it, it, there's just great value in it. So I love the road trip. I've taken, you know, have we all taken our kids to Florida in the car? Can I see your hands? Have you, have you done that? Okay, now I'm going to show you what a common experience that is for us, all right? Because here's what happens. Here's what happens on the road trip to Florida, right? You know, it's anywhere from a 13 some of you probably, it's a 12-hour trip, but we don't want to know how you make it that, okay? Somewhere between a 13 and a 16-hour road, road trip to Florida, depending on what part of the state you're going to, and you, you, you spend all this time and money getting ready, you know, you, get, you make all your plans, hotel reservations, wherever you're going to stay, plot out where you're going to eat, because that's really important, you know, beach, getting, women get their new bathing suit, the one that is going to, you know, make them look as good as possible, they can't look fat, you know, that's a big deal, and and, uh, and, you know, that's where guys get in trouble. Does this make me look fat? No, honey, that looks great. And, and so, you know, that whole thing, and then you get all the snacks for the kids. You go buy the DVD player that you can mount to the headrest of the car, right? The best investment you ever make on a road trip to Florida is headphones for your kids. And it doesn't hurt for you to have a pair either. You spend all this money, all this time on all this stuff. You finally get the kids in the van. You're rolling out, you get to Evansville, and what one question do they ask you? Say it, one, two, three. See? See? Your kids are not brain dead, it's all of us, right? We, we've all got the same kind of kids, it's, this, it's, it's, it's for all of us. We get that question, are we there yet? Now, here's what you need to understand about that question. They're not asking you a question. They're making a statement. They're making a statement. What they're saying is, Dad, Mom, we've played all the dumb games you invented for us to play, like that stupid ABC game that we play where you've got to find the alphabet on the signs that Dad cheats and wins all the time. Because somehow Dad figures out how, how to get a Q and an X. We didn't see a Q or an X, but Dad found one. Because, you know, that, you get to see, right? And your dad, you're driving, and you get to see, and it's like, this is the dumbest game in the world. You know, let's get to why. So... We've played that when we played Ridley, Ridley, IDD, I see something you don't see. You know, we played that game. We play I Spy. Then you've gone through the whole thing where, stop touching me. Stop, I'm not touching you. You are too. You're in my space. You crossed the line. Dad! All that stuff, right? That's a road trip. 
See, what they're saying is they're making a statement. They're not asking you a question. They're telling, really, what they're telling you is, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of waiting. I'm ready to get there. That's really all they're doing. And so what happens for most of us in life is we're on this journey to kind of find ourselves and what it is that God wants us to do. And, and some of, uh, of you are there right now. Some of you are in that place, and you're, in your own way, what you're doing is you're saying, Dad, are we there yet? I, I mean, are we? What, what you're really saying is, I don't like this. I, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I, I just, I don't like it. I don't, I, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. Because we all have dreams, we all have goals, things that we want to accomplish for God, things that we think God is kind of calling us to do. We have ambitions. We have these things, we want to see them happen, but for whatever reason, it hadn't happened yet. Some of us wanted kids, and it hadn't happened yet. Some of us had a career dream, and it, it, it hadn't happened yet. And you could have swore you heard God's voice. You could have you could have swore it was, it was him calling you to this thing and he kind of made a promise to you and you thought he was telling you this or that and now it's just not happening. You're asking the question, God, are we there yet? Now in this series, we've been following the life of David and we started with David as a teenager. I just kind of recap that for you. You know, he gets told he's going to be the next king. He's just a little shaver and, and, and I think David's whole family, I think everybody was shocked by that. I think... <laughs> Like David probably is like, really? I'm going to be the next king? Okay, that sounds cool. I'm going to go back and watch the sheep now. And I think people were shocked not only because David was unlikely. I mean, he was the youngest. He, he was the lowest in rank. He had the least experience. David did not look kingly. David did not look like someone that you would expect to be the next king. And, and, and they had this other thing going on, which is there was a sitting king over Israel. His name was Saul. It's not a good thing, necessarily, to be anointed the next king when there is a king. That could cause some problems. And so Saul had a son named Jonathan. I think everybody just assumed that Jonathan was going to be the next king. If Saul's got a son, certainly that would be the next king, right? If you've never studied Jonathan's life, read about Jonathan. He's a great guy. You, you, you would like, there's some really good qualities. Uh, Jonathan was a very good friend to David. But I think a lot of people thought Jonathan was going to be the next king and, and that things would just be business as usual in Israel and, and it would just stay in the family, no big deal. And then one day, David's dad, Jesse, says to David, David, I want to call you out of the field watching the sheep and I want to, I want to send you out to find your brothers. They're, they're, getting, they're on a hillside, they're facing off against the Philistines and I'm, I haven't heard from them in a while and kind of want to know how they're doing. I'm worried that they don't have enough to eat, so I want you to take some, you know, some meats and cheeses to them and make sure they're okay and bring back a report to me about my son. So David sets out to do just that. He gets there, and Goliath is there. And Goliath is coming out every day, and he's, you know, nine feet, nine inches tall. He's, he's making all these threats, and he's, he's saying a bunch of nasty stuff about God and about the soldiers of Israel and, and um, he becomes this, pardon the pun, but this giant obstacle to David. He becomes the, the obstacle to David's dream and to, to what God has basically called David to, which is to be the next king of Israel. Now, I don't really know. You know, when you think about David as a 12 or 13-year-old boy, he gets anointed the next king of Israel. If you're, I don't, I don't know how David was when he faced off against the giant, but, but if, if it, think about you when you were 12, 13 years old. I mean, 
a year or two later, don't you forget everything that happened when you were 12 or 13, right? I mean, stuff just doesn't stay in your mind. It's highly possible that David hasn't really thought all that much more about being the next king of Israel. It's, it's highly possible that he, you know, okay, yeah, that thing happened when the, the old dude came and he said I was going to be the next king, but that was a long time ago and I don't know if that's going to happen and I'm not really worried about it. I'm going to worry about other stuff. So it all seems kind of odd, but Samuel leaves and, and everybody just kind of goes back to business as usual. They don't really think a whole lot more about it. And then one day, Jesse sends him off and he sees David. Or I'm sorry, he sees Goliath. It's an obstacle. And, in, and when he gets there and he starts hearing Goliath talk about how he's going to, you know, feed the carcasses of the Israelites to the birds and, you know, he's making really bad assessments of their God and it's just not going well at all David gets ticked off and and David's going to take this guy down what you see about the way David responds to this whole thing is everybody else is talking about the size of the giant David is talking about the power of his God David doesn't focus on the size of the giant he focused focuses purely on the power of his God and, he, and he's able to be victorious now Goliath is dead and that's kind of where we ended the story last week with with kind of Goliath hitting the ground so what happened overnight after Goliath's body hits the ground is that David becomes an overnight sensation. Um, we see that in our culture. It's, it's kind of scary how different people can kind of rise up in our culture to become really, really popular, sometimes overnight. You know, Tim Tebow did that a couple of years ago. Johnny Manziel's done that recently. We have certain people that are famous just for being famous, um, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain people that are famous for things they shouldn't be famous for, if you know what I'm saying. So, uh, but it's amazing how they just blow up and they become big in our culture. Can you imagine how big David would be in our culture if he overcame a foe as big as Goliath presented to the Israelites? We would make a big deal out of David. The, the point is that he, he just, he went from zero to hero overnight. He goes from shepherd boy that nobody's ever heard of to now everybody knows his name, and he's a national hero. And the Bible says that they wrote songs about David. The Bible says that there were parades uh, in David's honor, and that they wrote songs about him and sang to him, and everybody's talking about David. Even the king, King Saul, is excited about David. He has him into the palace. He, he offers his daughter for him to have in marriage. And, uh, you know, things are going pretty good. All of a sudden, circumstantially, it looks like this vision or dream that Samuel cast for David's life when he was a little guy could be coming true. I mean, it would be very easy for somebody to look at his circumstances and go, you know what? I think there may be something to this whole king thing. I mean, I really think it's going to happen. But you wonder up until that point exactly how much David had given thought to it, to being the next king. But now that he's killed Goliath, now that he's a national hero, now that he knows Saul and he's hanging out with King Saul and he's his son-in-law. He's thinking, you know what? Maybe that old dude Samuel was right. Maybe I am going to be the next king. Now, some of you have been there. Some of you have been to that place in life where circumstantially everything just kind of starts falling into place for you, right? Everything that you need to happen to see the big vision come true in your life, um, you've kind of, it, it's kind of gone that way for you. You got the house. You got the promotion. You know, things were really looking good for you. Something happens where all of a sudden your hope skyrockets. Up until that point, you were holding back. You, there's some people, you know, I don't know if you're like this or not, but there's a lot of people that circumstances start to look good for them. 
but they don't let their hopes get up. They're always giving you 20 reasons why it's not going to work out, right? Um, they just, they don't want to look silly if they get their hopes up and then it doesn't come true. But for a lot of us, if the circumstances start lining up and it looks like that whatever it is that God's called us to or put on our plate, and we, we think, man, that, it looks like it's about to happen. Our hopes start to get some air in them and we, and we start to puff up and we think, you know what, it actually might happen. And again, I'm thinking it's possible that up to this point, David hadn't really, I mean, he knew that he'd been anointed king, but I don't think he really maybe thought all that much about it. But right after his hopes skyrocket, things change again. All of a sudden, he notices a change in, in King Saul. When he's around King Saul, things aren't normal. Uh, they seem just a little like a half bubble off center. He just doesn't, doesn't seem right. Uh, he seems kind of weird when I'm around him. I don't know what's going on. I think something might be up. And then one day, <laughs> Saul picks up a sword and he chucks it at David. Now, we're a full-service church, and I want to give you a public service announcement. When someone throws a sword at you, they don't like you, okay? That's free. That doesn't cost you anything this morning. When someone throws a sword at you, they're not happy with you. They don't like you. And, and David's thinking, yeah, it's probably not good that, that um, I think probably something is bothering Saul. So Jonathan, who is King Saul's son and a very good friend of David's, they would become very close. Jonathan goes to David and he says, look, my dad is insanely jealous of you. He, so much so that he wants to kill you. And David's thinking, yeah, I kind of already figured that out. All of a sudden, something snaps for David. He's had this dream in his hands that God, he thinks God has given him. And maybe he didn't even think it was going to happen. And then circumstantially, things start to line up for him in such a way that he starts to have this hope and now it seems to be slipping through his fingers like, you know, when you, someone pours water in your hands and it's hard to hold all that water. So what does David do? He clenches down. He freaks out. He decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands. He, he takes off, he flees. He doesn't feel like God is with him anymore. He doesn't feel like the dream is going to happen. It looked like it a little bit ago, but now the king wants him dead and he's not so sure. And some of you know how David feels because that's kind of where you are right now. He feels like God's toying with him. He feels like God's teasing him, like God is, you know, standing there with a big carrot on a stick like he did with David and said, look here, David, here's the kingdom. And then right when David reaches for it, he kind of snatches it away. Some people look at God that way. As if God wants us to believe certain circumstances, get our hopes up, only to dash our hopes by pulling the carrot away. It's kind of like that State Farm commercial where the two girls are walking up to the purses. You know the one I'm talking about? And they run up to these purses, and the one girl looks at her State Farm agent and says, how much did my discount double check save me? And I can't remember the number. Is it $150? Do purses really cost $150? I mean, I haven't bought a purse in a while, but I didn't know they cost $150. I mean, that's amazing. And so she, you know, she knows she saved enough, so she's going to go buy her purse. And the other girl's standing there, and, you know, I don't have State Farm, but insurance guy find me money. And then this old dude appears in hip waders, which is really strange to me. And he's, and he, he's holding the fishing pole, you know, and there's a dollar bill on the end of it. And, he, and then he says in the most creepy voice I've ever heard in any commercial at all, I got you a dollar. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, you couldn't find anybody better than that guy to say that line? 
that blind, he just sounds bad. That dude sounds bad. But she snatches for it, right? And then he pulls it back, and then you can kind of see her kind of give it one of those, like, on, I thought I was going to get it. That's how David feels. You know, he, he kind of maybe feels that way. It was, he was that close. Um, you know what David does? He panics. He turns his back on God, which I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people about God stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say that to me. You know, I thought this was going to happen, it didn't, and then I got mad at God. I turned my back on God. I walked away. I didn't want any more to do with God. We, why is it that we just, when stuff doesn't go our way, we just think it's all God's fault and we turn our back and walk away on God? 1 Samuel 21, verse 1 it says, David went to Nob. Now, what you need to know about Nob is it's, it's like a monastery. It's a community of priests, a bunch of priests there. And so he's thinking that'll be a safe place to go. David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, Ahimelech's thinking, David, what are you doing here by yourself? You're like a national hero. You would never be by yourself. David's a big deal. David's a big deal. When David shows up at your place, you expect an entourage. You expect an awful lot of people. This would be like <laughs> you hearing your doorbell, and you go open the door, and there's the president of the United States standing there. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? You want to hang out? And you're like, where are your people? You know, you're looking around for limousines and and you know motorcades and you're looking for black helicopters in the sky you're like you're not so, where's the guy that talks into the cuff you know where's that guy you expect all that stuff when the president of the united states rolls up on your house because he doesn't go anywhere by himself that's kind of what you would have expected out of david so this seems really weird to ahimelech he knows right away something's not right verse two david answered ahimelech the priest now david's going to start lying listen to this the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Ahimelech is asking all sorts of questions and David starts lying. He has no reason to lie to Ahimelech. Ahimelech's just asking questions and David you know Ahimelech's not going to try to kill David he's just a priest but David starts lying and he starts telling him he's on this secret mission and he's asking for food he's lying he's controlling he's trying to manipulate the whole thing here's a principle for you when, when God gives you this thing that he's calling you to this thing that he wants you to do God-given dreams will never require you to abandon God-given values that's that's just a principle in the Bible when God shows you something he wants you to do and he's, he's kind of leading you to that thing He's, he's not going to give you dreams that are going to require you to, to, to abandon God-given values. And the temptation is always there when you're chasing a God-given dream to abandon the God-given value. It's always there. It's, it's, you know, when you're in one of these are-we-there-yet seasons, when you're asking that question of God, there's a temptation, and it, it comes from everywhere because we want to see the dream happen. Verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Now, doesn't that sound just fishy to you? Ahimelech is asking questions. David's making all this stuff up. There aren't any men hiding in bushes anywhere. They're not going to meet up later. 
He's not on a secret mission for the king. He's running. He's scared. And he just keeps lying. Verse 9. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. Now let's just pause for a second because I don't want you to miss this. If this were a movie, and can we just all agree that the life of David needs to be made into an epic movie? I mean, is there any one character? That would be a great movie. Uh, The life of David has got, Hollywood would salivate for, I can't believe somebody hadn't figured out, let's make that movie. Um, But if this were a movie, this would be the perfect scene. This is where the music would get, you know, very intriguing and this is where you would kind of lean in to see how things were going to unfold. Here's David. He's on the run. He's making up this story. He's telling this tall tale. He wants a weapon. He needs a weapon because he's scared. And he asked this priest, you got any weapons around here? You know, the priest is like, dude, we're a bunch of priests. What are we going to do with weapons? I mean, that's, that's no good. And then the priest remembers, but we do have We have one weapon, it's a sword. In fact, David, it was Goliath's sword. It's the sword that you took away from Goliath when you chopped his head off. And we have it back here on display. We got it all wrapped up. And it's a reminder to our whole nation that God is with you. And that when God's with you, you don't have to lie, you don't have to steal or manipulate or freak out. You can just trust God. It's a symbol to our nation that our God is faithful. And when the odds are against you and it looks like you're down and out, You can trust God because God is there. That's the sword we've got. David completely misses it. Look what he says. He says, there's none like it. Give it to me. He missed it. It was a perfect moment for David to remember the faithfulness of God, and he misses it. Now next week you're going to see David kind of at his best, but this week you see David kind of at his worst. Maybe you never thought about your life this way. All through your life, there are icons of God's faithfulness to you. For some of you, it's your kids. Every time you look into the eyes of your kids, you just, you're reminded again of God's faithfulness to you. You wanted kids so bad, you felt like God was calling you to be a parent, you wanted to be a good parent. And you look at those little kids and you're reminded again that God's just been so faithful to you. For other people, it's your job. You can remember a time when you didn't have a job or you desperately needed money for your family just so you could eat. And you prayed and God provided for you. And every time you go to work, I mean, it's work. Yeah, it's, it's not the best thing in the world, but it's, it's a job. It's work and it's income for your house and your family's needs are met because you have this job. Maybe for you it's a car. And, and you, 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 know, you needed a car and God provided one. You prayed, God, I can't get to work back and forth. I don't have good wheels You just supply something for me. And it might be a junky car, but it works. You know, it's not the prettiest or the shiniest, but it it works. It gets you to and from. And every time you sit in that car, you're reminded again, man, I prayed for this and God gave it to me. God's been good to me. I don't know what it is for you, but we've all got things in our life that are kind of reminders to us. We look back and we can see God's faithfulness to us. I look back over the past several years, just in the life of our church, and um, you know, we, we've, we've come a pretty long way. For those of you who are new to us, it wasn't always like this. I mean, we, we started out in really small quarters, and there weren't a whole lot of us, and um, our, our mission needed a little help, and we, you know, we just 
we needed to get kind of focused a little bit, and it just took us some time, but when I look back over our time, I can just see different icons of, of God's faithfulness to us. Let me try and explain that to you. Like, my computer, <laughs> Tracy's always on me because my computer's just full of stuff. Um, we were looking into having our computers backed up to the cloud, and when they saw how much stuff was on my computer, Tracy's like, what, you know, do you have national security secrets on there? I mean, what could possibly be on your computer? Well, there's podcasts and sermon stuff and videos and all the baptism videos are on there and and like when I would raise money or cast vision for the building we had outtakes and I've got all that stuff on my computer well I'm constantly having to remove you know clear space on my computer and before I get rid of stuff or before I move it a lot of times I'll look at it and, and if it's a video a lot of times I'll watch it well I've been watching these these videos that we made where I was trying to cast vision and inspire you to give and to get behind our building project. And as I watched those videos, I just, I was reminded again of God's faithfulness. I could see the guy on the video and it was me and I could remember how scared I was asking you guys to come behind and support. And I can remember how well you did. I mean, look at what's happened because of your generosity. And it's just a, it's a, it's an icon of God's faithfulness. Just for me as a pastor to look and say, Brett, you know, I'm not, I'm with your, I'm with you. I'm with Cross Lane. I'm not going to abandon this church. I mean, I'm going to see to it that the things I call you guys to are going to happen. Are you going to encounter obstacles? Yes. Are there going to be delays? Yes. But I'm not going to leave you. The other night we, we had the, the funeral for, um, for Sue Stonebreaker here in the building and um, a lot of people came and paid their respects and, and um, what a great woman Sue was. But one of the guys that was here was the project manager of the construction crew who built this building. And, and I his name's Richard. I don't know that Richard goes to church a whole lot, but, you know, he, we just, we enjoyed having that crew on our site to build this building. And when I saw him here for the funeral, I walked up and shook his hand, gave him a big hug, told him I was happy to see him. And I said, man, we really miss you guys around here. And he says, you know, we miss you. He said, I, I've told people several times since this building that if I could just have five more buildings like that, that would take me, that would see me through retirement. He said, I've never built a building where I felt so appreciated and so loved by the people I was building the building for. I said, well, we do appreciate you. We do love you. And I don't know, a lot of you are new to us. When we dedicated this building, we invited our construction crew back and we brought them up on stage and we presented them with gifts. And uh, the gift was, uh, I had bought them all these I carry pocket knives, these, these uh, self-assisted pocket knives, and we gave him pocket knives. Richard reaches into his pocket, he pulls out his pocket knife, and he said, you guys appreciated us. He said, every time I see this, I think about you. And just that conversation with Richard was just this icon, this, this reminder from God that, that you're touching lives, you matter to people, and, and Brett, I'm faithful as a God to the Crossland Community Church, and I'm going to see you through. Just remember Remember, I'm there, I love you, and I'm, we're, we're going to see these things to completion. It's just, they're just reminders of God's faithfulness in our life. Your life has icons in it. Your life has those moments that you can look back and you can remember the faithfulness of God and you can say to yourself, I know God loves me. I know God's going to see me through. I know he's walking with me through this stuff. They're just reminders. David knew of God's faithfulness. In fact, earlier he got this right. In just a couple of chapters before where we are now, in, verse, in chapter 17, this is right before David goes to fight Goliath. And, and I read this to you last week. 
King Saul looks at him and he says, David, you can't do this. You can't fight Goliath. He's huge. You're just a kid. He's going to kill you. And in 1 Samuel 17, this is what David said back to Saul. And he's, what he's doing is he's bringing up the icons. He's bringing up the icons of faithfulness. Listen to this. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The battles he'd had with these animals, he felt and he knew, prepared him and reminded him that God was faithful, that God was not going to leave him. Here's something for you to write down somewhere. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. If you don't reflect on God's faithfulness in your past, you will never trust God with your future. If you don't reflect on God's faithfulness in your past, you will never trust God with your future. I don't, I don't know what this looks like for you, but if you can find some ways to surround yourself with the icons that God has put in your life to remind you that God is faithful, something that you can see and look at as a reminder of his faithfulness. Because what happens over and over is that we find ourselves in these places where we're saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. You need to be able to go back to the moments where you have been able to trust God, where he's proven himself to you over and over and over again. Somehow in all of this, David forgets. Somehow he, he forgets. So to finish the story, David runs off to this place called Gath. He's outside of the nation. He's in great danger. He gets captured. He's extremely afraid of the, the, the king of Gath, and, and he pretends that he's insane. Starts foaming at the mouth. It's kind of weird. Does all kinds of crazy stuff. In the meantime, Saul is on David's trail and he's trying to track him down. He ends up going to Nob to talk to the priest that David had talked to, this guy named Ahimelech. And when he's talking to Ahimelech, he says, was David here? And Ahimelech says, yeah, David, David was here. He said, did you give him something to eat? He said, yeah, I gave him some food. He said, did you give him a sword? He said, yeah, he told me he was on a mission from you. You know, he's your son-in-law. I, I just, yeah, anything he wants from me, I'm going to give to him because, you know, I just assume he's on a mission from you. Well, Dave, Saul is so infuriated that he kills this priest, Ahimelech, and kills his whole family. And he doesn't stop there. He goes and kills 85 priests and has all their families killed because of what David has done. Question. In your life, when you feel like things are slipping through your hands, what's your reaction? How do you typically respond when you feel like things aren't going the way you thought they should have been going? What's your pattern? For some, maybe it's that, that, that you know, your tendency is to lie or to try to manipulate things like David did. For some, they reach for a bottle. For others, they reach for you know, uh, some kind of pill or something to make them feel better. For others, it's they go into revenge mode, and they want to make people pay. They try to destroy everyone or everything in their path. For some, they just turn and turn their back on God. We all have a pattern. We all have something that we tend to do, some way that we tend to respond when we start saying in our head, are we there yet? You know, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. David had a wake-up moment. When Saul came in and wiped out everybody in Nob, one person got away. It was Ahimelech's son was able to escape. And, and he eventually tracks David down and he tells David about all the bloodshed that happened with all the priests and even in his own family. And there's this moment in 1 Samuel 22 where, where it all starts to sink in 
on David. And he starts to realize how his actions have affected an awful lot of people. And he, he says this to Ahimelech's son. He says, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. I am responsible. And I think David lives with that memory for the rest of his life. I think that he realizes that because of his lying and his manipulation, hundreds of people were killed and something begins to change in David's life. Now, like I said, this week he gets it wrong. Next week, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be here, but I am going to be here. You, you don't want to miss next week. It's really pretty cool what you're going to, it's going to be on video, but um, there's some testimonials that you're going to see that I think will move you. And in between those testimonials, I'm going to talk on video about about David and how he gets it right. Um, But I think something changes in David when he realizes that people died because he lied like this. And, And just to wrap up today, let me just say this. When your dreams aren't happening the way you think they should, when you think things aren't going the way they ought to go or that you thought they would go, it doesn't mean that that life is spinning out of control. What it means is you never had control to begin with. It doesn't mean that God's not in control. God's got it. It may not always feel like it. It may not always look like it. Because there's a moment for all of us where we think the dream or the goal or whatever it is is just slipping right through our hands. And I think the tendency for us in those moments is to just squeeze tighter, to kind of clamp down and, and squeeze down on stuff. And when we do that, A lot of times we put ourselves at odds with God, the one who can actually help us. So don't get mad and run from God. Instead, lean into God. The the, the more it seems like you start asking that question, God, are we there yet? That's when you want to lean in. You don't want to move away. You don't want to clench down. You don't want to turn your back. That's when you really want to dive into God and his presence. Um, we're going to end things a little differently today. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But you guys just uh, can stay seated. The band is going to come out, and they're going to play this really, really cool song to, to end today. Uh, I think it'll, it'll mean something to you. And if you know it, you're welcome to sing. But it's really more just they're going to sing over you. And um, I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come out. Uh, Father, would you help us to be reminded that Not for a single moment have you ever forsaken us. Not for a single moment have you ever turned your back on us. Not for a single moment have you ever left us high and dry. There are those times that it feels like it. There are those times that we go to that that life seems a little desolate. It seems we feel alone. Not only does it feel like we're not there yet, it feels like we're not ever going to get there. And Father, it's in those moments when we get tempted to just clamp down and and take control. And oftentimes when we do that, we do stuff that's not good. It's destructive to us. It's it's hard on the people around us. Father, trusting you in the middle of those kinds of things is difficult. We just confess it. And Lord, I I don't know what's going on in the room, but I I just have to know in a room this size with this many people, there are people in all different stages of their walk with you. There are people in all different stages of seeing their their God-given dream achieved. And some of them are in a period of delay and others are staring flat in the face of an obstacle, a giant. And what they're really wanting to say is, are we there yet?
Father, in those moments, would you just give us the faith we need to take one more step to not walk away from you, but to lean into you, to tell you we love you, that we trust you, we worship you. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus, for his perfect sacrifice, for our very imperfect life, and the blood that you poured out of him covers us and makes us clean. It's in his precious name we pray.